Well, I think that, frankly, um, both the overall message and the specific announcements uh, contained within it are fantastic. Um, exactly what we would have hoped for, what people like us have been calling for for a long time. Welcome to the IEA podcast. My name is Matthew Lesh. I'm the head of research here at the IEA. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalizing policy question to a top political and economic thinker. Today's question, will the fiscal event deliver growth? Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng has announced a substantial package of new measures under the tag, A Plan for Growth. There's everything in there from cutting national insurance to reversing the corporate tax cut, uh, reforming the regulatory state, introducing investment zones, and so much more. At the heart of this though is a hope, an agenda that we can get the UK growing again. Now discuss this uh, growth statement, this fiscal uh, statement, this mini budget as some have called it. I'm very excited to be joined by Tom Clockerty from the Centre for Policy Studies. Welcome to the IEA podcast, Tom. Hi. Um, so, Tom, let, let's get started. What, what are your takeaways on this? What do you think of the government's messaging when it comes to, we're not going to talk about redistribution, we're not going to talk about optics and what might be popular. What we're going to do is go for growth. Well, I think that, frankly, um, both the overall message and the specific announcements uh, contained within it are fantastic. Um, exactly what we would have hoped for, what people like us have been calling for for a long time, sure fiscal event we've had for years, possibly even decades. Um, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell it. Obviously, there are things that um, still need to be done that weren't announced today, um, and we can go on to talk about those things. But I think, given that this government has been in place just for a few short weeks. Um, this is an extraordinarily good start, uh, and I'm sort of excited to see what comes next. Mm, I think that, that that's very much a feeling across free market leading groups. And, and why, why don't we go into a little bit of what some of uh, the policies are? And I'm interested in what, what you think is most exciting and what actually has the potential to deliver growth. So there are obviously a few parts of this that have been long expected, like reversing the national insurance increase uh, and as well as um, cancelling the planned increase to corporate taxes. Why don't, why don't we start with those? Are those the significant announcements that can deliver growth? Or are you more excited about some other elements in there, uh, like increasing the investment allowance to permanently to a million pounds, or the announcements about uh, abolishing the higher rate of income tax, for example? Yeah, well, and I think that we we always knew that this fiscal statement was going to include those ca key campaign campaign pledges um, on cancelling the corporation tax increase and reversing the national insurance hike, um, and so that was that was the bare minimum, and, and that's been delivered. And I think that that's great in both senses. I don't think either of those things by themselves are you know hugely consequential for the UK's rate of economic growth. I mean, the corporation tax cut. Yes, actually, it, it probably provides a significant boost to long run GDP compared with the counterfactual where corporation tax was going up. Um, but of course, we only had that counterfactual because the, the government had rather foolishly announced <laughs> years in advance that they were going to do a, a massive increase in corporation tax. So we've avoided a hit to our future prosperity. Um, by cancelling that increase. But it, by itself, it doesn't necessarily do much to, to move the needle in a positive direction. Um, you know, the national insurance cut, I mean, I think that's that's clearly very help, helpful, lower marginal tax rates across the board. It's good for work incentives. Uh, but I think, frankly, that is more about 
um, leaving more of people's own money in their pockets at a time of a cost of living increase than it is necessarily about driving growth. I think that the the real growth measures um, probably lie elsewhere in this fiscal event, but probably also elsewhere in, in the government's agenda over the next couple of years. I mean, in a way, what I'm most impressed by was just how focused and explicit the rhetoric in this speech and its surrounding documents were. Um, you know, they they actually used what my colleague Robert Colville has called the, the Marie Kondo test for economic policy. Uh, does this spark growth? Um, and that's in there in, in the plan for growth as sort of the guiding principle of this government's policy making. Um, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. So, yes, there are there are things in this budget which I think are particularly good for growth um, in a in a small and incremental way, like the stamp duty reforms, like the changes to the annual investment allowance um, and like getting rid of the additional rate of tax. Um, but I also think that the the biggest impact and the most exciting stuff is going to come from the broader supply side liberalization agenda um, that this fiscal event has sort of made a start on and outlined the basis for, uh, but which you know we remain to see the, the proof of it actually happening and, and, and being translated into hard policy. Yeah, it seems to me the biggest uh, regulatory change that has been uh flagged, announced in the announcement today, actually has nothing to do with physical, fiscal measures, um, but actually has a lot more to do with improving uh, the UK's infrastructure record. Uh, there, there's a specific announcement there that the government, and we, we don't have admittedly all the details just yet, but the, 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 the new administration is concerned by the fact that it just takes years and years to get approvals for things, be it uh, things like uh, building roads, building new rail infrastructure, or any other kind of nationally important infrastructure. And the government's even got a list of things they want to start getting shovels in the ground for for next year. So that seems like, although we talk a lot about these tax changes and the distributional consequences of it, it to me at least, it, the, the key parts of growth are going to be on the, that regulatory side. It's, it's that question mm. of what can we do to expand economic activity to get things happening quicker, um, to, to build uh, economic growth, to boost our productivity, to boost incomes. Yeah, I, th I think that that's absolutely right. And I was quite struck by what the Chancellor said during that section of his speech where he was talking about not just how long it takes us to approve things and to actually build them in this country, uh, but how much worse those delays have got over the last 10 years or so. We really have tied ourselves up in a, an absolute tangle of, of red tape and consultations and uh, every other thing. Um, and if they, if they genuinely can cut through that Gordian knot, um, you know, I think this is something that, that maybe Dominic Cummings started working on, and it was called Project Speed, uh, which is kind of a cool name for it. <laughs> uh, but the idea that actually we're not condemned uh, forever and all time to doing things at snail's pace, um, that actually even in a, an advanced, developed, um, possibly almost sclerotic economy like ours, you can actually change things and pick up the pace. Um, and obviously doing that is easier, is, is harder than saying it. Um, but the intention is there, and I think that's a very powerful thing. Yeah, and I think the biggest announcements in the sense are those still to come, which have been flagged today. So talking about sunsetting EU regulations, uh, dealing with uh, regulatory issues in, in housing and planning, uh, as well as uh, things like um, childcare, for example. We did see a few things when it came to energy, though, that I thought also quite good in terms of fracking, as, as well as allowing onshore wind, uh, which, which has been previously 
band. Um, one I show, do want to pick up on you, and I, and I know there's something the CPS has written about, something we've talked about, a friend of the ASI have, is, is the government's, I suppose, new approach to levelling up as represented by mm -hmm. these investment zones. What, what do you make of the announcement here? Because I think there's, there's a lot of concern generally speaking, from a, a market perspective that, well, effectively what the government's done on leveling up is just throw money around the country. Even free ports can be a bit suspect if all they do is move activity somewhere else. What, what, what do you think makes these investment zones different or, or are they just the same as what we've seen in the past? I think what potentially makes them different is how many of them there could be, uh, how big they're going to be and also where they could be situated. Um, it sounds like these will be bigger, <laughs> that there'll be more of them to the most depressed areas that they will be spread around the country um, and again you know you await details on that stuff but when you look at the sort of policy mix that they're putting in place for those investment zones um, everything from the sort of accelerated planning procedures um, to effectively these zones will be subject to the ideal pro-growth tax system there'll be no business rates um, there'll be no commercial stamp duties um, Uh, sort of appreciated, uh, accelerated um, writing down over five years rather than 33 uh, <laughs> in the rest of the country. So uh, these, this is quite a powerful mix. Um, and if these zones go in the right places, and I think that's always the danger, right? and that's always been the problem, um, for example, with free ports, they could be very powerful if you, if you put them where sort of economic flows actually want to take place. Um, if it's if you're simply trying to divert stuff from one part of the country to the other, you're not going to have a great deal of effect. So, um, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. Uh, I suppose the thing that I would I would hope the most is that these things are a success um, so that they prove that the kind of pro-growth tax policy mix that you're getting in these investment zones um, could actually be replicated nationwide. Uh, and so when we talk about things that uh, you know, maybe we want the government to go further and faster on. It's probably that gap between their nationwide announcements on, say, annual investment allowance and the kind of approach that they are putting in place these investment zones. Um, full expensing for plant and machinery, something quite close to full expensing uh, for structures and buildings as well. Uh, so that that that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, yeah, little little uh, laboratories of. Uh, freedom that can, in a, almost like the way, you know, sometimes people talk about states in America, where you, where you have different policies in different places demonstrating uh, what is uh, effective for growth. And, and to some extent, I, I think if they can also localise control, uh, there was some, some talking there about letting um, local decision makers decide on some of the regulatory questions as well. Um, it, it could be quite a radical um, change. Now, a lot of the response and analysis of this fiscal statement has been to say, what you're, what you're doing is helping the top end of town, uh, you're, you're ending uh, bans on or caps on bankers' bonuses, you're abolishing high rates of tax, um, even, even something like national insurance has a disproportionate effect on, on middle to higher income earners. What do you say to that kind of criticism that, that this is really just kind of a, I suppose it'd be the, the nasty party that, just caring about the rich and doing nothing from the poor? Uh, oh, I mean, I, I, I think and I think you think as well that that's just completely <laughs> the wrong way to frame it. Um, I didn't want to be callous and say, well, I don't care, uh, because obviously <laughs> one does care about how, um, you know, poorer households are doing. Um, 
Uh, but I think also, by the way, that that analysis probably has to ignore um, the impact of the energy price guarantee and so on as well. Um, there's there's a huge amount of money going to support households across the income spectrum. Um, but I do think that you know, Liz Trust made this point during the leadership campaign. Um, that everything has hung on distributional issues for years. Um, the Treasury and indeed the Conservative Party have become obsessed with poring over those charts um, and seeing which deciles or vintiles um, are doing better and which are doing worse. Um, and so you get into this endless uh, spiral of trying to divide up the cake. Um, and the problem with that always has been um, that the policies that are most likely to deliver growth are the ones that might look worst um, or at least not look great on a short-term static distribution analysis. Um, and part of that is because richer households simply tend to have uh, two earners rather than one. Um, and so if, you, <laughs> if you're cutting taxes for individuals and we have an individual-based tax system, um, it will show up looking better um, the further up the income spectrum you go. Um, and I, obviously, we shouldn't completely abandon... Um, that line of thinking about who benefits and who doesn't benefit from policy changes, that is important, but it has become the sort of defining principle according to which economic policy has made. And I think that that's been incredibly destructive. And so I hugely welcome um, Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng and the rest of the government saying, no, we're not doing things that way anymore. Um, we are going for growth. That is our organizing principle. And if we get an economy um, growing faster um, than it is at the moment, uh, then that's going to benefit everybody. And it's not trickle-down economics. The whole trickle-down economics, I think, like neoliberalism, is basically um, a fantasy that lives in the minds of the left. Um, no one actually on our side tends to use those terms or think in those, in those methods. We're not saying we want rich people to get richer so that then they can give some of their money to everybody else. Um, what we're saying is that if you have a dynamic, vibrant, booming economy, everyone will earn more. Um, people will have better jobs. They will have better opportunities. You, equally, you know, you will have better public services and more effective government when you have a strong economy. Um, these are all things that we we know and understand and get lost, I think, in the sort of left-right slanging match uh, of contemporary politics. Um, so that that's my that's my long answer. The short answer to which was, you know, I didn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, th I think in a sense it's just not the right priority to have. If if you if if we think in retrospect, let's say we go back two hundred years and say all the government did two hundred years ago was focus on redistributions. So they should have taxed the Manchester industrialists as they were they were forming and um, you know give give money around and and it, it would have at the time seemed appealing. But there's a big risk there that you wouldn't have then had this extraordinary. Um, take off in economic growth that ended up making everyone much better off. So I, I think it's it's basically just a very short termist idea that um, redistribution is the way to build prosperity. That you can just cut up the pie in different ways rather than trying to make the pie bigger, um, which makes everyone better off. And I think, by the way, the reason that that view has become embedded even among conservatives is because they've actually lost faith in the idea of economic growth. Um, there's a real sense of declinism mm. that has gripped quite a, a sizable segment of the ride um, to the point that they really just don't think better things are possible. Um, and that that's a completely fallacious point of view, in my opinion, because yeah, it's not like we are at the frontier of growth and innovation in this country. Um, the United States on a per capita basis is about what a third richer than we are, Germany, 20%. Um, we lag 
even our main European competitors on things like productivity and business investment, um, there is huge scope for the UK to realize um, big gains simply by catching up. Mm. Right. So we don't we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to do things that have never been done before. Uh, we just have to get better in a sort of constant way. Um, and, uh, you know, thank goodness, I think that's what this government seems to be focused on. Uh, so, Tom, I, I think that criticism of the budget isn't particularly persuasive, but I think what is a lot more persuasive and a lot more challenging for, for free market thinkers is this idea around w- what's happening to the debt here. Uh, we've, we've seen a lot of potentially scare stories about you know the pound going down, about markets being scared um, and increased price in terms of the, the cost of government borrowing. Now, the government has announced a, a massive increase in borrowing, something like, I think something like 60 billion pounds just this year, maybe 400 billion over the next five years. Now, fr- free marketeers used to be very concerned about increasing government debt. Are you as concerned as as um, that might have been the case previously? Is there a bit of a risk here that effectively throwing the kitchen sink at it, but not actually cutting spending at the same time is, is potentially going to backfire? Mm. Uh, I mean, I think that there, there has to be a worry there. Um, and I think that my main worry is not so much about the overall strategy. And I think the overall strategy is to shift the focus away from short-term concerns about the deficit um, and indeed the public debt, what is it going to be this year, next year, the year after, um, and focus more on the medium to longer term and to say, look, uh, at the end of the day, you can look at those OBR long-term forecasts. It doesn't make a great deal of difference what we do to taxes and stuff um, if we continue growing um, at the terrible rates that we have been growing and if our population you know keeps getting um older and and less active in the way that way that they expect so you know in a sense um you're just fiddling around at the margin uh by raising taxes trying to bring in a little bit more revenue this government is saying look we accept that long-term trajectory i think um and the only way we avoid those rather unpleasant fiscal outcomes in the long run is by growing faster and we're not going to grow faster by constantly raising this tax and that tax. Um, because actually, particularly when you're talking about business taxes, if you tax capital, you're taxing the future. Um, you are eating the seed corn effectively, um, and you're going to undermine your growth longer term. So that's that's the overall strategy. And I think that that is a sensible strategy. Um, and people will say, Tom, you've changed your tune a lot since 2009, 2010. And I freely accept that. Um, I have changed my tune. I think the situation is quite different now after the decade of very low growth that we've experienced and that kind of vicious cycle we've got into of higher tax burden, lower growth, higher tax burden, lower growth, and the long-term forecast just getting worse and worse as a result. So I like that idea. I'm comfortable with the government's shifting horizons here. The danger, I think, is that the stuff that's implicit in announcements like today, which is basically all of the hard supply side liberalization, all of the deregulation, all of the stuff that's going to require um, legislation and might trigger some backbench revolts from conservative MPs, especially anything that involves building um, in conservative constituencies. We know how things like that tend to go. Um, The danger, I think, is that you get the fiscal side, the, the easing, Um, But you don't get the follow through on the supply side measures because they prove more controversial, because, of course, it's very easy to cheer tax cuts. We love them. Um, uh, More money for us, more money for our voters, etc. 
um, when you're talking about putting wind farms or nuclear power stations in green and pleasant bits of the land, it becomes all a bit more tricky or building roads or, or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so that that I think would be the problem. You can foresee a situation if you're a pessimist and I'm not. But if you're a pessimist, you can foresee a situation in which um, we get much looser fiscal policy, but then the rest of the agenda doesn't arrive. Um, and so the full growth benefits aren't realized and we don't get that medium long term improvement in our fiscal trajectory. So I would worry about that. Um, but I would like I said, I would just focus on the long term. Uh, I think that the the Rishi Sunak approach uh, and Rishi Sunak had many, many good points. Um, but I think that the short term narrow focus on uh, reducing debt as a priority over everything else um, was was a big mistake and I'm glad we moved on from it. Well, thank you very much, Tom Clockety, who is the Research Director and Head of Tax at the Centre for Policy Studies. Thank you for joining the IEA podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider or on YouTube. Uh, and please do tune in for more IEA content.